0: Welcome to EdTech Examined, a series about educational technology and what you need to know. I'm Eric Christensen. And I'm Chris Hans. This is episode 21, Behind the Curtain. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How's it going?
1: Good, Eric. How's it going?
0: Not bad. Um, For today's episode, we're going to have a discussion about audio editing. So... um, for our 21st episode, maybe it's like 21st birthday, we get something special? No. Uh, for the listeners, we're going to do kind of a behind-the-scenes regarding some of the uh, audio editing techniques, some of the audio tricks that we've learned along the way. In particular, uh, Chris Hying, our audio uh, editor and sound engineer, is here because he's been doing the brunt of the editing, trying to sync up tracks, make our ramblings sound good so it's a good opportunity to talk about uh kind of some of the magic behind the scenes so if it's okay with you folks i thought that might be a a good place to start so maybe uh chris could you uh, and we could start pretty broad and then maybe just ask questions and, and go into details after but what is the the general workflow that we're using at this point uh for editing and if if you don't mind maybe sing it uh, phrasing in a way where someone was to get started with this what do you think is the best way to get started with a, an editing workflow
1: yeah for sure Eric. um i think the biggest thing that you need to kind of sort out is is just figuring out what how um you're going to cater your your process so i mean in terms of you know talking about a recipe the the ingredients required here is definitely some uh, decent audio equipment so um i mean by decent, you don't use dollar store headphones, but aside from that, like you're you're pretty much safe with anything. Um, you don't need studio grade headphones. I mean, a lot of studio grade headphones that you can buy from um, any music shop or or kind of um, audio place is going to be in that sub $100 range for kind of the entry level model, and that's going to get you pretty much most of the way there. Um, but a nice pair of headphones is going to is going to change kind of how you perceive things Um, and and actually taking that a a step further is to actually use studio monitors Um, and and that's definitely kind of a a, a, the next level up but in any event you need you you know a basic computer that's going to be able to function you need to have enough RAM for things to run um, have decent memory so you know don't run this on your basic level MacBook Air with 256 or 128 flash Um, I imagine you'll run into difficulties with that um, just based on experience Um, and kind of after that, you're, you're, you're really wide open. Um, there, there are some differences in terms of the digital audio workstations that you can have um, on um, PC versus um, the Macs uh, in, um, environments. But by and large, um, the kind of, what you need is the, uh, the software that you're gonna edit within. So whether that's GarageBand, Audacity, um, Logic, um, any, any of your really, uh, you have many options that you can kind of choose from. Um, and then you would need something to, to listen to and s- something that can actually help you record it. So, um, a decent microphone and typically what that means in terms of positioning is just something that's going to be fixed, right? Um, a- a- any, um, microphone that's attached to your headphones, such as your, your, um,
0: those AirPods or those earbuds or whatever, the Apple, the built-in ones. those are Yeah, good.
1: exactly. Yeah. Because basically what it is, it's, it's, it's holding at like, um, Random position floating in the air, right? So that that's not a consistent position that you can kind of reference off of. And in that case, you get a lot of um, background noise and and other kind of interference that can flow in. So um a fixed mic with a mic stand or anything else something that sits on top of your desk, um, that's great. That's the first step, The second step, having something that you can have a decent audio playback to so you can listen to it and really understand what you're listening at. Um, a, a high performing computer, that's going to be able to kind of deliver what you need um and be able to kind of keep up without slowing things down overheating anything like that um you, you really don't want to run your computer too hard because otherwise like, like with video editing or anything like that too. Um, you're just going to end up killing your computer, which is, you, there's no, it, performance issues, I mean, it's going to take you another tw- five minutes to export this file or something like that. But if you run your computer too hot, you're just not going to get that lifespan out of it. So um, recommended practice is definitely to have that um, strong enough to meet the needs of what you're trying to do. Um, and yeah, lastly then would be just the, any digital audio workstation.
0: I have a question about the headphones. So, I mean, I have around here, Uh, I don't, I'm not wear them when we do recording, but for monitoring, um, the ones that I've used for many years are AKG 240 studio headphones, which I think probably cost around 70 bucks us, you know, hundred dollars Canadian kind of thing. Is there a model for monitoring headphones that you recommend? And I know that I've often used open back for monitoring versus say, listening to music. I have a, a pair of, uh, noise counseling, Bose headphones, but, but those are better for um, listening to things, especially so sound isn't escaping. So do you have a preference for open versus closed or a certain brand?
1: I mean, it, it really depends on your background. I've, I've chatted about this on the podcast before, but from a from a musician standpoint, which is kind of the background that I take um, in terms of audio recording, the, you really do want the closed back because you want that isolation. You want, you want to be able to um, not really have that uh, bleed and at any any time, especially when you have a, a close mic or or anything like that. Um, typically, when you're talking about those type of headphone monitors, you're, you're going to have some type of monitoring system um, or some type of in ear monitor that you're going to be using as you're recording. Um, but the real kind of process in terms of the actual um, uh, the the final editing process, you definitely want to capture that in a enclosed in environment. And so that's what I would say. I and, and for those musicians that are out there, or for for anybody else who might have in your headphones, I think those do work very well for for audio editing as well. Um, they they definitely give you a certain flavor. Um, but my process, particularly in a podcast, and I would say this is kind of the 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 recommended process that I would recommend. I would say is that uh, the ultimate um, end product of how your users are going to listen so is going to be through a, a just standard kind of earbud headphone set, and either that pro- approach or via um, Playing it wide open, just out of your laptop. I think those are kind of the, for me, the two spot checks that I run um, when kind of going through our final files in terms of how they sound and how they balance and volume levels and all that. Because um, it's one thing to get a really hi-fi stereo set and something that's really specific, and even with studio monitors, it's that's you know it's great to get like the. Very detailed, nuanced um, editing. So you get all the right frequencies captured, and you get the right balance, and you get everything you want. But in terms of listening, to the final product, um, you want to be able to compare to what your final audience is, how they're going to consume the the product. Um, so you, you wouldn't uh, you 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 package it up, I guess, in in, in another way, and, and try to evaluate it um, kind of with a, another kind of facade on top of it. So um, that that's generally what I would say I, in terms of the the, the overall um, headphone. Process in terms of determining what you want. Um, realistically, I, anything that's kind of hi-fi or um, that's going to be able to deliver on a wide range of frequencies is probably something that's going to be um, valuable to you. Um, there, There's c- constant magazines that, that are out and every year uh, there's changing models, but any of your major brands um, like Sennheiser, uh, Bose, uh, Biodynamic, um, even Grado, um, any of those, um, for the most part, are going to be able to deliver on, on what you need. And um, even some of the other kind of lesser known, potentially, but like even Shure, as a um, known mainly for their mics, is also going to be able to deliver some BUDS and headphones, um, Sony, and so on as well. That's uh, all the same. And I, I I'm not a big um, Guy on the difference between a uh, wireless or wired, I don't think it makes that much of a difference, but there's definitely that consideration as well. Um, in terms of the open back thing, I just wanted to comment on that too. I know a lot of podcasters like that, and that's definitely true, especially if you're listening to a a feedback um, of yourself talking and the recording uh, which we would do in a studio but we're not doing over zoom um that's typically how we would, we would do it and singers definitely like that open back as well so they can hear what they're actually sounding like um that's what's used for um uh, like radio talk hosts and, and podcasts in, in general so i think it depends on your application um my intention of kind of bringing this up isn't to say like to, to to audio edit you need to go and buy all the special equipment rather um i think you do need to buy a mic for the generally that's that's kind of a um a standard thing um i think that the headphones you just use what you have and and use kind of the best uh options you have but the uh overall um kind of everything else whether it's the computer or anything like that you can you can make things work just with the caveats of you don't want to run things too hot or or um it might damage your computer in the long run if you you really get into this that maybe you do want to invest in the computer longer term
0: that's a really good point about not burning out your device. Um, heat is the enemy of all electronics. And you've said that in the past, Chris, which I think is a really great tip for people, um, especially uh, for battery-based devices. One of the things that's interesting is that I did a test recently um, just to see how hot the iPad Pro would get with this Yeti mic pulled in, uh, plugged into it because those have a USB-C port now. So I have a whatever this is, US, some weird USB plug, USB type B or something to USB-C. It was hard to get the cable. But once I got it in, it's amazing how little heat that thing produces. So I'm wondering in the future if that might be a Apple Silicon is a sweet spot for doing, for doing that kind of recording without uh, burning out the fan. Um, I think it's probably because you talk about editing, and I do want to ask you about the editing workflow specifically, but I thought maybe before we get into that because you mentioned a bit about mics this might be a good opportunity uh to to get both of your input on on the mic systems that we use so maybe uh our other chris chris hands can talk a little bit about what what he's using him and I, you you and i chris are using a, a similar mic same brand
2: yeah yeah exactly so we're using uh, blue microphones uh i have a uh, raspberry um, which has been discontinued and It's uh, one that is portable, so I could plug it into my iPhone or an iPad. Uh, There is that ability uh, with a lightning connector. Um, So, um, and again, even just with the stand. But uh, actually, one thing that Chris mentioned to me is that I should probably take it off the stand. And uh, a recommendation that he made was to get a um, actual stand uh, so I can actually put it close to um, my mouth and so on. And so that that's uh, one thing that um, I think was uh, probably a good just from an audio produ- production standpoint. Um, the other thing that I think a technique that really helped as well was uh, Chris uh, advised instead of putting the mic, uh, you know, head on, put it at an angle. And so I, I thought that was kind of a, a, an interesting thing because I, I just thought. Um, you know, uh, overall, probably the, and maybe most people probably think this is that you should have it directly in front of you, uh, as opposed to on an angle on the side.
1: Yeah, I'll jump in and comment on that too, Chris. Um, so I guess, do either you, of you guys do any gardening? I don't know, we've never chatted about this before.
0: I do. Well, I live not where I live now, but I do like to garden. Right.
1: And so, you know, when you're watering like trees or flowers or anything like that, Uh, My mom was a big gardener. You're not going to take a fire hose and chug it right at like the the stems or like the flowers right you, you're you really trying to get it to the soil that's what you, you, you pour it down maybe at an angle you get it you let it seep into the soil into the flower pot that's what you want to do The spraying water all over on top of the the leaves and the flowers it doesn't do anything likewise for a tree you could take a, a fire hose quite literally and open it up and blast a, a, an evergreen tree all the way up the down the trunk but that's not going to do anything for, for the tree um, realistically right in terms of gardening practices. So very much likewise, I think that's a common misconception that people have. They they speak directly into the microphone as close as possible. They leave maybe at like a one centimeter gap, and ultimately you, you you pick up everything that happens in a person's voice. As much as we like to um, think that we're you know infallible people, we tend to have very different enunciation things. Like you you you'll end up picking. Every single little bit of your saliva swallows, your little tongue inflections, the little chips in your teeth, the uh, little spinach that's stuck in your teeth that you didn't floss out, it's gonna create some weird air that's gonna flow through. those are the types of things that get picked up when you when you get so close, and that's another kind of topic that we talk about when we're talking about some of this recording. It's um, typically is is kind of setting the gain and setting the distance. It's really a balancing act. Um, but the room that you're in changes a lot of things as well. We can dive more into those topics. Um, but specific to kind of the, the you know, I don't want to drive us too far without jumping away from the mics. Um, Eric, uh, I'll let you comment on on your um, blue mic really quick. But the the other kind of just ones I'll, I'll mention is that. Really, what we have is um, a, a standard USB mic setup, um, which is different than the XLR setup. And there's going to be pros and cons of those. And maybe I'll chat about that really quickly and give some mic recommendations um, after Eric. You, you kind of chat about yours, and I know you have a, some uh, perhaps some reasoning and rationale behind your purchasing decisions and, and how you kind of went through that research. I know you're really a techie guy that loves to look into those types of specs, interviews, and, and things like that. So.
0: And I'll never forget spinach teeth. That should have been the recording uh the title of the episode. You know, you make a good point. So, I mean, I, I have a very similar mic to Chris. It's, it's, um, it's the blue Yeti. So the raspberry is what Chris has. That's become the micro now. I think that's pretty much the same thing. Um, I originally bought this, uh, well, so we could record here, but also uh, for teaching online, just something that was a little bit better. I do have a directional mic. I have a pretty good uh, 1080p webcam. That actually has a directional microphone that, for what it is, is pretty good. But it just helped clarify some of the video for instruction and things like that. Um, It's a USB mic. Uh, I have yet to put it on a stand or an arm. That would certainly be better. I, I like Chris. I put it at an angle so it doesn't grasp everything. So between being on an angle... Uh, and having a pop filter, which, you know, uh, prevents the spit from my uh, mouth going onto the mic and causing that pop, pop, as well as just being cognizant of the way I pronounce things makes a big difference. So it was kind of a balance between price and portability. But I, I actually, I think the S, uh, XLR mics are better. Uh, and one of the reasons is, is uh, and we may upgrade to that for this setup at some point we we've discussed it uh it's a little bit more of an investment but i'm more familiar with those mics for recording guitar um for uh, so i've never done usb recording with uh for music it's always been uh, an analog an analog setup but i do think that for voice uh, analog microphones t- and, I'm, and I don't know the science behind it. Chris, you can probably comment more on it. My understanding has always been that because they are actually a little bit less precise, a USB picks up everything because it's a digital input. Um, most people like to their ear a little bit of imperfection in, in the wavelength. So you tend to get, I find it more rounded out kind of a sound for voice. You can kind of tell when people are using USB mics and other podcasts versus analog. At least that's been my experience.
1: Yeah, no, exactly, Eric. I guess the the best way to kind of describe it is for anybody that knows anything about um, digital interfaces is you have your your um, kind of your your um, standard um, application interfaces, and you have your mobile interfaces, user interfaces, and the, any of your mobile interfaces are going to be um, just a facsimile, a recreation of what you're actually doing on a, a, a true programmed interface, and that's. Um, kind of a good analogy to describe how a lot of the digital kind of processing happens. Um, where does that digital versus analog um, kind of debate? And I mean, digital comes a long way. You can, you can recreate anything these days. Uh, people record direct into GarageBand or direct into digital. Um, there's a lot of times where analog is kind of, it, it's not really used, but having said that um, there is a wide range of, of USB mics. I think um, by and large uh, we're using kind of the, middle to top end of the of the usb price range um for the majority of usb mics you can the cheapest you can look at is probably something at around the the 50 range is kind of the minimum to get in um, and i would say it caps out at like well below the 500 range um typically around the 300 range potentially is, is where that you'd see kind of the top is, the top um models on the uh, on this kind of um segment and to that point um, I guess really what, what the difference is is you're going to to capture a, a kind of um, a digital all-in-one if you will that, that reproduces and captures the sound and tries to process it and it does all these things in a powerful computer um, and, and throws it through your um, USB and gets it into a particular kind of file stance. Um, With an XLR mic, what you really need to do is you actually have to have a separate interface box. And what that does is it not only actually does the computing, but it converts it, um, a a true conversion of your analog to a digital signal. And what that inherently means is that instead of having a, a facsimile of something you're actually taking the, the real thing you're capturing the actual frequencies um and, and putting them in as opposed to a, a reflection or a mirage of it similar to how even like eyes might work right how you know that the infraction of light um goes into the brain the brain processes it and that's something versus the again the, the 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 true one would be even though we would need our eyes to see it if you bear with me on the analogy that you take a camera and you capture the picture as opposed to, to seeing something with your in, the inflection of the eyes and the, as we know there's this is where you kind of get those different optical illusions that, that get to take place. Um, things that don't really make sense. You see floating ships because of the the water hits the the, the sun hits the water a certain way, and um, other things like that. And I mean, we don't get too far into it, but essentially at that level, that's that's the the core difference between them. USB mics aren't bad. They are going to limit you in kind of in times in terms of what you're kind of doing. Um, anybody again, like that's going to do a, a, a significant. Amount of recording, I think, is going to get a significantly more mileage out of analog mics. Um, particularly true out of musicians, the, the the standard models for the 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 analog kind of mics in any studio is the Shure SM57 and the Shure SM58. Those two are the industry standards and have been since they have debuted. Um, and you can find them. Ones that've been used since the '60s or '70s, essentially, um, and, and they still work, and no matter how much they're beat up or thrown around. And so, those particular mics, that, you know, if they're been used, I think there was an auction recently um, on one of the you know musical um, marketplaces. Um, that was signed by like Paul McCartney or whatever. It went for a few thousand dollars for charity, something like that. But the point is, is those types of mics are are, are going to to last a lifetime. Kind of, and these uh, digital mics, I would um, say they get kind of obsoleted um, rather quickly, or they have a lifetime that's significantly shorter. Probably five to five to ten years is is my estimate uh, on that. But having said that, they're they're good in a pinch. They're, you know, I'm using one right now myself. I'm using a, a Apex um, USB mic in the in the higher end of the price range. Um, it's a discontinued model, so I, I won't bother with that. It's a bit older. Um, Aside from those, the, the blue mics are definitely up there. Um, Apex, Rode, Heiser and Shure are the kind of the, the short hits that you'd want. Um, all of these different USB mics, what's unique about them is they all have different kind of settings. They they have this um, inbuilt gain control. They have a, a pattern recognition um, that you can flip on and off. Um, I have on mine like a, a different, um, not only the, the dB setting, but I also have the, the pattern um, in terms of how you want the, the actual... Um, mic to pick up the different uh, flows. So there's the different ribbon mics and, and different kind of dynamic mics and condensers. They all have different, um, essentially, uh, aside from the sound waves, they just have a different kind of way of mapping it. So they, they, they point a particular direction. And in terms of if you think about the physics and sound waves bouncing throughout the room, they have a particular way that they're going to pick up um, certain frequencies. And so we talk about room design and audio recording and everything as a whole. And I do want to get back to, to kind of that and the limitations of Zoom Uh, further on in this episode, but, uh, at the very high level, I'd say that that's kind of the, the, the core, um, the, the core kind of features that you're going to be looking for. And it's specific that those features are actually, again, kind of limitations that, they, that they're they kind of facsimiles or, or things that are being done digitally in the background um, to get a true kind of analog style of recording to, to pick up what we really want to focus on. Um, those are typically done with why you'd have a ton of professional audio equipment and you'd have all these different boxes. So again, not to say why uh, that USB mics are bad, but those are the types of things that, that you would think that are in kind of included and those are things that you probably want to read up and understand more on lots of textbooks and, and other explanations. Uh, I, I, as a musician, I have a bit of experience with kind of recording in general. Um, I'm prob- I'm definitely an amateur. People go to school for this kind of like audio like stuff and, and the full acoustic design and all of that. So I'm not going to attempt to give like a proper lecture explanation on each of these different things. Um, but that's something that you, you should look to understand. Uh, having said that, there are a few different mics such as like the Shure MV7 um, that does do both USB and XLR. Um, and so for something like that, i think that's the kind of the, the 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 um a safe bet you can kind of get the best of both worlds those typically run in the, I, I, near that two to three hundred dollar range i think um so again near the top of the market but uh for a lot of those i mean don't forget that you might just have a ton of features and that that might sound like it's going to offer you something but i'd be very concerned at a 70 dollar mic off of um like Amazon or something um, from a from a random brand or or even a known brand potentially that has eight or nine different features um, and isn't actually going to it's probably in terms of its audio quality you're getting that trade off so um, that just something else to consider as well on, on those.
2: So Chris, like for the future, uh, let's say we start uh, wanting to invest, like what what would you suggest for from an analog perspective? Would we get that mic and then you get that? Uh, uh, you know like what, what would we need yeah to do? for
1: sure so it's the um the, the these audio interface boxes are, are really what um you you want to look for and so that's that's the first component it doesn't really matter what you get um there's a lot of kind of again industry standard basic ones on the market um one of which would be like the scarlet 2i2 um that's typically around the 150 200 range you it, it, it Basically, for all these, you have X amount of XLR inputs, right? So how many mics can you plug in? And that's where you get the, the significant amount of cost. Again, these, some of these have different features, but by and large, these audio interface boxes are going to do the same. Um, you can find old cheap ones that are, that are great deals if they're Firewire. Um, I had one of those for a little while, and eventually with the, the Big Sur update, that was all obsolete. It's all Firewire stuff is, go- firewire stuff is gone. Um, basically, you find they're cheap on the, the, the market now. Um, but for those particular Particular ones um, you know any audio interface that's going to only depend on those there's uh, certain ones that are uh, kind of I'd say more um, reliable than others in terms of software updates um, but uh, those are also kind of um, always changing so it, it doesn't really matter what what you end with i think the scarlet is probably one of the ones that is recommended the most the other one would be the steinberger ur22c um is is another great one that that is typically used um and what you really do is that just plugs in and is the intermediate box that's going to convert your analog signal into a digital one so that's what you want to look at um picking one of those up and then you want to make your selection of mic and and so as an example the scarlet from Focusrite doesn't typically include a there's a mic package um, I've seen around on Amazon and, and any other kind of place um, and if, if memory serves the price for that is around the um, like 250 300 range and you'll, you'll get like a standard mic um, stand you'll get a, a kind of a cheap mic included with it and a pop filter and all these other things um, now in, in my opinion I I, you know, I wouldn't go for one of those kind of when you get into the the analog mics, the trade-off that you do get is for some of the cheaper ones, um, I'd say kind of anything under $100, you're, you're essentially, um, I would say, kind of wasting your money. You might as well be getting a USB mic. You really want to kind of get that solid investment and because it is going to last you a long time, um, you're going to be able to, to jump into those two. So um, just jumping really back to the audio interface, i recommend to brands, again, Focusrite is the one that I think is probably the most well-known and kind of used by amateurs across the board. That's one that's definitely well-supported. PreSonus, any of theirs stuff is great. That's personally what I use. Um, we have Universal Audio that's also um, typically uh, used and, and recommended as a kind of industry standard. And then the last one being Steinberg um, would be kind of the the, the general ones to, to look at. Um, there are some others as well, but I'd say they, they they get more into the the prime um yeah, you know, uh the, the higher end kind of range of that. In, in terms of the mics, um, the diff- there's different kinds of mics, dynamic mics, to, to break it down, I guess, simply to, you know, to kind of summarize, dynamic mics are going to be able to point things in a uni direction. So they, they're uni cardioid, they only look at a single direction. Um, that doesn't mean that it doesn't pick up sounds from other directions, but what it really means is you do have to have a, it gives you a very narrow angle. Um, you do almost have to speak directly into the mic, pointing it at a 45 degree angle, um, Helps with some of that to capture some of that weight, but it's really if you if you imagine it pointing at a forty-five degree angle, you still kind of have to be within that. Um, the eyesight of the mics um, kind of if you drew a laser from the, the tip of the mic all the way out uh, you still need to be captured within that range or anything that you you any sound waves that go within that range is what's going to get picked up it's not going to kind of um, pick up a, a room sound so those um, dynamic mics are typically used for in the instrument context for like drums and things pointed right up close any instrument pointed right up close and typically we also have something that's like a room mic or an overhead mic um, for drum kits and, and things like that those mics are typically um, not used for those purposes because the dynamic mic's not going to pick up that that entire kind of 360 view um, and further to that point a lot of singers um, some some really prefer to to, to have a dynamic mic because that's just kind of their singing style but to pick up a lot of the nuances in the voice as you um you, any, anyone that knows anything much about singing, as you kind of change your your um, difference between your, your falsetto and, and your kind of standard voice or your your head voice and your chest voice, you're going to lose a lot of those nuances and not going to be effectively captured by a dynamic mic, which leads us to kind of the condenser mic, which is um, much more sensitive, hypersensitive. It's can be kind of a variety of different patterns, typically in a wide angle or kind of in a figure eight. Um, these are... Great mics in general, but very expensive uh, by and large. Um, they they are great for nuances. I I think those are uh, you know mics that are are good to use. Um, I personally I think kind of the best of both worlds is the ribbon mic, um, and so that's kind of the uh, what I would say is a, a good recommendation. Um, the Apex 210 is um, I have a bunch of those that I use for a variety of applications. Um, personally, that's what that, what I would uh, be using if we were switching to an XLR setup. Um, but the, the kind of the the other ones that uh, jump out to me would be like the um, Shure SM7B and, and some of the others that uh, are really well known as the industry standards to pick up these kind of uh, really strong for vocals that, that do pick up all the nuance, but also have the ability to kind of filter down enough. It, it's picking up the right frequencies is essentially what you're trying to do. You, you have the... Particular set of mics that you would use on a, a drum kit, but not on a guitar and uh, on a on a bass guitar versus a acoustic guitar. There's going to be different mics that you're going to pick up. By and large, a lot of these dynamic mics and other things, if you point them at a at a bass amp or like a you know any major low bass um, instrument, it's actually not going to pick up all that well. You need a specialized mic to pick up those low frequencies. Um, and kind of on the inverse of that, to pick up something that's super high and 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 very nuanced. Um, it, a lot of dynamic mics aren't really the best for something like a, a violin or like a flute. You'd want a condenser mic for those types of applications. And so um, it's it's really about um, matching what you, what you want and kind of the other use cases. I think when you're talking about voice and podcasting and lectures and anything like that, those applications are simple. You don't need to dive into the weeds of it, but it's about getting versatility and getting the max out of your money, right? Um, can you get away with the dynamic mic? Yes. Can you get away with the ribbon mic? Yes. Can you get away with the condenser mic? Absolutely. The question is, what are you going to use this mic for in other cases? Cause it's going to be an investment. Um, and if that adds value for you, then great. If not, then, um, you can stick with kind of whatever, whatever you, you whatever you can find. And I would say by and large, it's a, kind of a musician's hack. Um, something that's definitely true. There's always used music gear on the market. I think that especially for some of these, um, You know, it's not a wind instrument that you're putting your mouth on. Um, You put your mouth near it, you know, maybe a few inches away, but, um, you know, nothing that can't be cleaned. It's not a a, a significant health or safety concern. Um, I guess that might not age well, depending how how this pandemic keeps going. But um, by and large... I would say that you can kind of find anything on the used market, look at your kind of your local classifieds if you want to get into XLR, that would be a great way to do it on the cheap and it's going to be very similar to a, a actual USB price. And I would say you're overpaying for a new USB mic, um, So I, I and I would recommend uh, to get a kind of a used XLR mic. On the flip side, uh, there are many times where I'd say if you see a used USB mic and it's a good deal, I would be um, wary of that because, as we know, digital tends to break a lot more than analog. So um, I'll end with that as kind of the the overall setup. But uh, just to go back to Chris's question really quick, I did, did a lot of explanations and detours and twists and turns there. Um, hopefully that was nice and clear. But what I would say is our setup is, especially with how we were doing this remote, um, still over Zoom and online, uh, we would each have to get a audio interface, whether that's a Focusrite, a a, um, a um, universal audio, um, a Personas, it doesn't really matter what we get. We each have to have at least one. After that, we each have to have a mic. I would say we want to get the same mic um, because we want to be able to have a very similar or comparable baseline. So then when we load things in, um, Chris doesn't sound uh, like... Um, 180 degrees different than Eric does in terms of how uh, the balance and, and the frequencies kind of flow in. So you want to have a, a similar setup. So I would say personally that you would either go for something like the Apex 210 just because I already have that or um, and that's kind of on the, the middle price range, something around like the 250 $300 price range again. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas the uh, Shure SM7B is definitely something that I want to be getting for um, my own other applications for music recording and whatnot. And and that's going to run around the $500 price range. And ultimately, that would be the kind of the, the top tier mic that's used by sportscasters and things like that. When you're talking about the actual like NHL, uh, NBA, any of those sportscasters, they're typically using a Shure SM7B in the booth, um, as well as radio stations. Um, having been to CBC Radio and, and others locally, I, I've seen that. That's definitely what they're using. And confirm, you know, with my own eyes. So um, it's not just what you hear in the industry. That's definitely the, the industry standard as of what's being used. So um, ultimately, that I would be that that's the recommended setup, and that's going to set you back anywhere from five to seven hundred dollars at a brand new retail price.
2: And does it matter in terms of the interface?
1: There's a little bit of like. Um, I, mean, I don't want to get too technical, but that there's there's some bit rate changes and, and other things that, that come along with the interface. I, as long as you're buying something within the, the similar price range, um, as long as Eric here doesn't go and buy a $10,000 interface that has an amazing bit rate. Um, and we're using the a cheaper one. It's not going to be too too noticeable. Um, I I don't think that's significant. Especially again, if you're if you do have different budgets in your different areas, um, anything like kind of in that sub $500 range is going to be very similar to, to one another. Um, I I would say just look up some of those specs, you know, uh, and, and make sure that they're they're comparable. Um, especially if you're going to use a particular feature, like some of these again have certain built-in things that you, you might want to to add, like even built-in effects. Um, if you're going to be doing something like that, if you do turn it on and your your friend doesn't while you're now you're dealing with two totally different tracks so just make sure that it, you know you're using them the same way and in the in that particular instance i guess the um just know that if you end up buying one that is has some special feature or built-in effect or, or something or other, you're not going to necessarily be able to use it when you're podcasting in a group. Um, and so you might have overpaid or invested, or you're just having kind of an extra feature that's not being utilized. So at that point, it's... Why would you get that, right? Um, unless you're you're primarily doing other things and you have like teaching applications and sure, by all means, but it kind of changes your your setup too. And maybe we'll talk about that in, in the workflow. But um, as a preview to that, essentially, when whenever digital audio workstation you do, I'd say you have to have a set template and you have a lot of audio settings preset ready to go. Um, in the you know non digital sphere, what this looks like is having a actual mixer board preset to certain slider positions and so Eric stands there and goes to that mic and he goes through that input and that always flows through to this channel strip and that's the settings for Eric's voice that I have set to to this this and this and because he talks a little louder than Chris he's going to be brought down a little bit and then Chris is going to stand on the other side. I have his EQ kind of mapped out on my little mixer board, and I have his voice boosted up a little bit just to make him um, match Eric's volume, just a couple decibels or something like that. That would be kind of the the analogy, you know, instead of having it hard coded on the um, on a mixer board. And even this is used in industry or anything like that too. Um, not typical that you have like a mixer board that's dedicated for that and you never change it but um, you'd have a template there and potentially you'd also have a template on the um, more so actually on the digital audio workstation and that's what you're really going to to look at doing um, and that's where you'd have the some of the differences where some of the um, some of your workstations such as Audacity or some of the others aren't going to, the free ones typically aren't going to have the ability to kind of preset those, whereas any of your other um, paid ones will, whether that uh, includes Studio One or Ableton or Audacity or Pro Tools, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Not Audacity, sorry, Logic. Um, It doesn't really matter what you're looking at. They they all really have that same ability to to set that up. So um, that's where I'd say that some of those differences um, are, are important to note because when you load them in, it's going to give you a different experience, a different feel in terms of what your end product, um, kind of spits out as.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, that's an excellent explanation and I think it's, it's pretty much right on the money from what I've heard from other people who do podcasting. I know, I do know, I have worked uh, very briefly with the Focusrite Scarlet before I was in a studio where they use that. And I think that comes, that's, that's that just, just to reiterate for people, that's the, Um, analog interface that goes, that records directly from an analog mic. And then that goes into your computer via USB. So there's a few different versions of it. There is a, there's a two mic preset, um, a slow mic preset. And then within those categories, they, they, of course, they have ones that record at different bit ranges too. So, I mean, the sweet spot one that I've seen in person, which, I mean, I haven't compared the mic interfaces are, this one's a, this is the Scarlett 212. So this is their third generation. I think when I was in a studio once, they had the second gen, which is almost identical. And it, you know, it records at a 24-bit, uh, has two mic presets in it, and that's a pretty small, uh, little set-top box, which is nice. So if you have like a home, a home studio or something, um, that that's a pretty good setup. The Sir mics are fantastic. I haven't actually used them. The the ones I've used in uh, for. Well, the ones that I've used for both guitar recording as well as vocal have been from Heil Sound, um, the PR-30. I don't know if that... I know podcasters use that um, pretty frequently for voice. I know that they always advertise it as also a, a recording mic for music. It's called the PR-30. I think it runs at about 200 bucks. But I don't know how it works. They advertise it as a kind of a one-size-fits-all, which I'm always skeptical of. I've used it for audio only, and that's a very good mic. They say it's good for recording guitar. I'm I'm, some, I'm somewhat unsure about that. But when we once you've recorded all this stuff, um, whether it's a, a USB directly into the computer interface, which is what we're using here for reference, or if you upgrade to an analog system, maybe now would be a, a good time to talk a little bit about what we've done uh t- to mix this podcast uh thus far so i can give a a bit of a background when we first started this i, I don't know which episodes did which so one of them one of the first within the first four or five uh when b- before chris was doing the editing and he's done a much better job because i really didn't know what i was doing i'm much more familiar with editing video than podcast audio so some of those things translate but not everything i had used audacity for some of the recordings uh, but then as we started to add more effects and bleeps and um, transition sounds that we got uh, like creative commons transition sounds that i found online i think i switched over to uh, garage which is a nice interface it's a little bit smoother to work with you kind of have All your different channels it's kind of laid out in a very uh straightforward way now chris you're not are you using logic at this point to mix the episodes right
1: yeah that's right eric and that's just because i have the like i said the standard channel setup so um i can go through that kind of in depth for anybody that is using logic i can tell you what we're using um Taking a step back, Eric, I wanted to just to mention too the how we're recording and something about XLR mics that people might not know about. You can connect an XLR mic through your audio interface to something like Zoom. So you can use mm-hmm. it not just for recording, but you can use it for active live um, discussions, right? So it's it's just tends to be a bit overkill. Again, you're going to use up some computer RAM and, and other things to, to really get that going. Um, but by all means, uh you're you're able to, to get more use out of this mic than just having it for pure recording. You can connect it to your Microsoft. Teams, zoom skype whatever what have you your facebook um video calls and and um so on and so forth so there, there is that ability and that kind of cross um usability of it as well um and so i would say that's kind of how you would record you need to record it directly into the digital audio workstation or as we're doing we're doing it through zoom and uh, if i time and some other kind of background backup tracks um, and so we're, we are using a, a second layer of digital processing um which is why for me as well I'm not, i am not even going to bother using a um a uh any of my analog mics with xlr input right now because we're really kind of processing on processing and um, even earlier, I mean, depending on how this episode turns out, and a variable that we've been dealing with uh, doing this during the pandemic kind of online um, that's not as nice doing it virtually is not only do we all have different um, setups and rooms and we're in different spaces and that means that we can't um, really get live feedback and do a monitoring process. So um, you, you always see the in the movies, right? So the check one, two, check one, two type thing. That's what we would do um, if we were recording this in like an actual studio in like my basement or something with Chris and Eric, it, the three of us together. Um, I would have Eric and Chris both do that check one, two, check one, two, make sure that their volumes are right, that they, you know, um, Eric has a little, uh, you know, frog in his throat today and, and Chris has some spinach in his teeth. So it's, uh, they sound a little different both and I need to change the EQ a bit and just make sure everything's balanced, right? And so you would, you would do those adjustments. But because we're on Zoom, um, we can't actually do any of those adjustments and then further because there's actually internet and bandwidth issues sometimes there's the lag and you sound like a robot and you get this yeah sound right and then things go on and on and on so um, and I think that we, well, you're just, a, uh, yeah, for those of you that don't know, here's a, you know, this is a really meta episode anyway. So for the background, we, we do have like text messages and things going on and just saying like, Hey, you're talking too long. Shut up. And <laughs> typically we, that's just, uh, what we tell Eric because, you know, um, he likes to, he, he likes to go on and on. But, um, aside from that, it's a, uh, it's usually always Chris, your, your dogs are making noise and, or Chris, your dogs are, you know, there again. And Chris, Chris, um. It, we can't get through a recording without chris's dogs interrupting so um in any event i guess my point is is you, you know we hear this in the episode probably as you're listening to this too that there's going to be variable audio quality and so the the ideal way is to actually do that mic test and and have that live recording not through any of your your zoom or or um QuickTime or anything like that but have it directly in um any of your um you know, digital audio workstations, because that's where you're going to be able to really get that um, direct feedback. So uh, that's what I would say is kind of the, the, the first step as part of that workflow in terms of the recording process. So um, yeah, so n- now that we've talked about kind of the overall setup and all the preparatory steps and how to record the medium or the channel that we're using, right, including the, the kind of the software on the computer um, being like Zoom or, or QuickTime or anything like that, now, let's talk about kind of the, what, what do we do with the the, the, the um, audio files. So, um, well, you know, we get the audio files extracted. They're going to be in particular format, um, whether you're do it using um, a Mac environment or a, a um, um, PC OS, that's going to be something that's slightly different in terms of what files get spit out, right? Um, QuickTime gives you one type of file, Zoom does another, and, and so on and so forth. So, um, just... Uh, be wary of that, you may have to do some file conversions to get things to work, especially for some of the others like Audacity only takes certain types of files and, and um, the Mac system, so anything like GarageBand and Logic are pretty particular about what you import as well. Um, not entirely, but sometimes it's true on the video side as well. Off the top of my head, I can't recall all the exact ones that are included, excluded, so I won't comment, but that's a quick Google search for for you and we'll make Eric put it in the show notes, um, which I think he also wants to chat about later today. Um, but yeah, in terms of the workflow, we get, we get that set up. first thing that i do is i import these tracks right into logic and i just make sure i have it i have a standard template and channel strip so maybe i'll talk about that first um right before um i talk about exactly what i do but i'm going to import it into my template and so my template includes our standard intro music and outro music um and kind of how that all the fades and everything i have the levels and everything i have set on that no eq no patches or anything like that patches being like the standard default um like editing template that you can apply on top um, would be kind of the the best way to describe those. And again, more, the more expensive the software you're using, the more of those patches are going to be available. Something like GarageBand has a very limited number of patches and um, some limited features and things scaled back, but by and large, that's the main significant difference between GarageBand and Logic. So um, you're not really missing out too much um, for very basic editing. But yeah, no patches on the intro or music um, channel. That's my channel one uh, that I have on my template. Channel two is the outro, so I have that as the the, the pre-recorded outro that Eric has, and and then mine. Uh, uh my little outro describing who i am and you know i edit the the podcast um typically because eric and chris uh record the majority of our podcasts without me um and so they're they're you know they're running the show and i just kind of say hey at the end um then i have a couple channels for myself uh number three and number four um and what i do for that is i actually have one that's centered and one that's um, panned right so that's actually mixed um so that you you would hear it from your right headphone as opposed to the left and so that's where um you, you get that kind of stereo really um, effect. And it, what that accomplishes is it gives you kind of a, a, a feel that you're actually kind of in the room. Um, and so I've set that to be 15 degrees right. Um, after that- And if I, I, can, have, if, yeah, if I can, sorry, just, Chris, but yeah, if I can ahead.
0: comment right on that. Uh, so the panning, uh, just so people know, and, and you might wanna comment a bit more on this. Um, I don't know if, if it's, at, if we do that, actually, I actually don't even know the answer to this. If we do that for all the episodes, I know in particular for interviews, uh, we've done that to, because we're, we're at a distance to make it seem uh, a little bit more like
1: a kind of a fireside chat style. Am I right? Yeah, no, I know. I'm doing that on all episodes. And I really do do that to just give that sense that you're, when you're wearing both headphones, you get that atmospheric feel um and and that's just kind of a general best practice to have two two um channels going um any music you listen to you'll notice that there is a left and a right track um typically um and especially like for 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 bands like uh, the rock and roll bands or or any bands that, that like to have two guitars they typically put one through the left pan primarily and one through the right pan primarily um, and you'll still have at least both of them very softly in the center um, it's not noticeable anything that's in the center it, the centers just kind of assumed to always be there and so um, yeah that's what I actually have Eric I have both Chris and myself um, on the the um, the right pan um, and uh, I, I do swap that around sometimes depending on uh, on what it is but I I as the template has it, I have the the two Chris's on on the right pan and as as the center. So it comprises um, channels three through six, and then Eric, I have you on, on number seven and eight, and then I have um, nine, ten, eleven, just for any sound effects or anything I need to drop in. They're just blank. They're they're not. Um, there's no coding on those, and typically for the guests. Um, That's what we'll use and because we do have quite different voice profiles between the three of us for most of our guests they can actually get away with reusing one of our templates Um, and so that's typically what what's done if there's a an interview that happens Um, and uh, if, if we have. Uh, just the two, Eric and Chris kind of standard hosting um, on that. I typically don't join for guest interviews. Then I t- very frequently will just kind of modify or massage my, my track. That's my first kind of step just to see how it sounds, um, just to reduce the workload. But uh, yeah, that's so uh, that's what I have for those in terms of the tracks and how things are loaded. I do have patches and EQs running on each of them just to... to, to um, to get things um, set up. And so I've run the, the voice patch on those. I have the compressed vocal and I've edited the, the standard Audacity or not Audacity, I keep saying Audacity, the, the Logic Pro um, default template set up for that compressed vocal patch um, and very dry. So dry meaning no reverb, no delay, no nothing. It's just a, a standard as is. Um, that's what we call dry any kind of after delay um, reverb, um, kind of those types of effects that involve stretching time. We, we call those wet in um, the audio sphere. So that's what I have going on um, each of ours. It's always the compressed vocal, just because it, it kind of boosts it, um, the voice and, and really um, brings things down to a, a, a nice dry um, sound, so that's what I prefer to run on those. Um, And just a quick note, too, I keep saying Audacity. That's probably my preferred... my my most recommended software, if not um, for Logic, and maybe I can comment on that in a bit too. Um, I when we initially started out, I was recommending to Eric that's probably a better place to start in many ways than GarageBand because the beauty of Logic is that you have so many of these patches that are ready to go um, that make things easy for you. Whereas with GarageBand, you're doing so many things manually, and when you get a, a kind of a graph, if you will, a scatter plot of frequencies of the of the voice that's come through, and you don't know really what you're doing, you're just Clicking buttons and dragging lines, and it's not actually going to be that helpful. Whereas um, Audacity, being the free patch software, actually has some some decent things built in. So um, yeah, that's that's what, what uh, uh, they, you know, I, I always give them a good shout out because the, the open source code and everything like that. It's compatible across all different platforms. They're they're great. Um, Great software to use, so I would say that's a good place to start. Um, last thing I'll mention on this on the setup, and uh, I, th- I think Eric has a question. I can see it in his eyes here. We have um, a couple other um, just master level patches or effects applied at the at the overall output level, and so I have um, a de applied. I have a channel EQ that has things mixed to um, do it a, a certain other way. I have a couple compressors, including a smart compressor um, that's going to just. Basically uh, amplify any times we have some mumbling. Uh, I know I don't enunciate the best, I also just with like talking rapidly. So that's my thing. I know Chris likes to mumble too, and and then Eric. Um, uh, I'll mention this in a bit too. But the the one thing that I have that that, that um, bugs me in all of his tracks is the heavy breathing. And so what that actual compressor does for us is um, accentuates those, and I can pick those up more easily because if they're if they're too quiet, you kind of don't see them or don't don't catch them. Um, so if I bring them out they kind of really jump out at you. So I get that to flare up. Um, by default in Logic, you'll have a pedal board. I have nothing running on it. Um, I have a second channel EQ just to, to re-EQ everything after the compressors and make sure we don't lose out on any frequencies. Um, and then I have a denoiser that helps out with, um, especially on Zoom, we have a lot of background noise and we have our computer fans, as mentioned, that, that typically get picked up um i think even earlier you heard my dog open the door so you hear a little squeal um you try to get as much as you can to really kind of isolate those noises and so that's what that denoiser is for and then the very very last thing i have is a speech encoder um which is just a a, a boost um on the voice patch that so really meant for podcasts and anything like that that's on the logic um side that that's standard so i've brought that in and haven't um uh, adjusted it all that much. Um, and so yeah, those are all the different effects that I'm running on top. And typically what you'd see in like a real music studio or anything like that is not only with the, the audio interface and then all the different additional processing boxes to get you to the preferred bit rate and to, to the analog tape or whatever you're recording to, um, you'd bring it in with all these other effects that you'd have, actual boxes that would do a channel EQ and doing this compressor and this noise removal and all these other things. And then into the digital audio workstation and then applying additional um, effects on top of that. So that'd be kind of um, what I'm doing, but also the real thing as opposed to just digitally. You'd have both um, in many situations. Um, it would be like the overkill, the master, kind of high, high level recording. But um, that's kind of typically what, what's possible as well. And then um, you kind of go from there. So uh, that's the overall kind of setup. Um, I guess lastly, before I, you know, I, I know I said I'd go to Eric, but um, just I, the original question we had was workflow. So bringing these in and dropping in the files, I make sure I sync them up. I just get them in on each of our channels, um, get everything lined up, essentially, make sure things are there. I, I clean up any of the, the muted noise I'd listen through to make sure that there's um, nothing that that came through. We have a lot of mistakes and things. And especially these two guys, they always love to say, hey, we'll just edit that out. And then they, they, they do like five or six different takes and I have to make sure I catch them all. Um, and, and they never tell me when they do it. So I just have to listen to like the whole two, three hour episode a couple times sometimes um, make sure we get through all of it. Uh, but um, I've gotten pretty good at even just, you can spot check visually when there's gaps and stuff like that. And you can hear like um, Chris's dog's barking. It looks like a particular frequency that spikes. So you can, I can scan for those, but they, you know, it does, it does get missed. Um, but by and large, really all I'm doing because of my setup is I'm dragging and dropping making sure that things line up, deleting the things we don't want to have, and um, exporting it, and, and that's it. And um, once we get that export, um, I typically upload it to to the, the cloud for um, the two guys to listen. Typically, it's Eric because he, he he's very particular about um, whether or not his breathing is captured. <laughs> and from there, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll go on and uh, give me some feedback. Usually, I've missed a thing or two, or he wants a, a couple things removed or something that uh, just... Um, we want to say in a particular way, and then um, we uh, will revisit it and then we just upload it, and Eric can maybe talk about that process. Uh, But the very last thing I guess I'll mention in terms of the syncing of the tracks, especially when we have the different takes, um, one thing that becomes very difficult is uh especially for chris does is the most guilty of doing this when his dogs are barking um you know he'll kind of lose his thought and then he to deal with them so he lets them out or and then lets them back in and, and has his you know little, little chat and then he comes back and goes where was i and it's like oh yeah this is what i was saying but he won't start off the sentence the same way as he ended it um so i kind of have to splice it so i'll do this trick often and this happens to eric sometimes too i guess you know but i mean I'm really going to pick on Chris because it's, it's always his dogs, man. Um, what what happens is then I, I I splice the words and you get like a, a weird gap or something like that. And, and for the most part, it's not too noticeable um, in the podcast. But sometimes, I guess, if you really, really listen and you hear kind of an inflection in the voice change, that's typically what happens. So Chris was talking in this voice and then his dogs bark. And then he comes back and he sounds like this and he starts talking like this. And so suddenly he goes from, yeah, so this is, uh, I think that's the great idea. And another thing, Eric, and you, you when you get those types of um kind of voice inflections, you'll you'll hear that. Um and and that's where um there are some challenges and, and things you just kind of have to massage. So I mean by and large, really what I'm doing again is just dropping things in and making sure that there's none of those um uh, kind of kinks in the audio process are captured um and reflected for you guys in the end product. And really again, what you do potentially in the studio is like have uh like takes right so you can you can actually stop the recording back it up in in your uh like in your recording software whether it's logic or audacity or whatever you're using um you back it up to however many seconds and you record over top of it and it saves the different takes and you can filter back and forth and you can keep what you want of one and not of the other um and that's typically a great way to do it so that's kind of where uh there's a bit more kind of massaging you you kind of stop it you you go back and if we're really professional that's what we would have as well as probably a a better script so we wouldn't start off at different places but as you know the i think part of the beauty of what we have here is great conversation so um having that conversational uh, feature and that's common going to be for a lot of your um different um podcasts too if you're you're looking at this from a podcast perspective i think that's something that you'd want to to keep in mind but i guess from a if you're from a teaching perspective or anything like that and you're recording pre-recorded videos um keep in mind that different take and keep in mind your voice inflection because it might be very apparent where from one question to the next, you sound very, um, you have a very particular tone and you come in with another inflection. And it sounds very disjointed and you can, you can hear that it's edited after the fact. So um, those types of things are uh, some things to keep in mind and, and watch out for because they are sometimes difficult to smooth out.
0: Um, You, you answered what I was going to ask you, which was about audacity because I think, uh for creating a template that actually works pretty well i totally agree garageband is a is a nice visual interface to, to me garageband is a great way to kind of learn maybe in a because it, it doesn't look quite as intimidating uh from kind of a, a different like a section by section and a wavelength standpoint i mean audacity looks professional in so far that it looks more complicated so Uh, GarageBand may be a good place for people to start because there's only it's so limited that there's only so many things you can mess up. Um, But then Audacity, I I think, is a better way for the free software route. I mean, obviously, logic is better, especially if you're running a Mac. But uh, I found Audacity to be really easy and it's a little bit easier to a little bit more precise. I don't know if you found this, Chris, when you're cutting and snipping the wavelength it's a little bit uh, easy and you have a little bit more flexibility in terms of how big you can make it. And there's a few more visual changes you can do. One of the things that's interesting uh, about the clipping, and I think that's a great point, is that we, in in the, especially in the past, when we've had guest interviews, we've sent, uh, well, we, we try to send those people, uh, you know, a rough version of it. So we don't spend too much time or you don't have to spend too much time in the original edit, and then we'll often get kind of a a list of things uh, changes to make. But uh, you, have Chris, have done a really good job of doing the transition, so it's very smooth. And in fact, uh, when we, we did our interview with with Kurt Newton, he kindly gave us, he was very gracious and gave us a, a few things to change. One of them was moving actually a whole section from further into the podcast into the beginning. And I when I first listened to it, I had to ask, I was like, is, is this the original or... Because I couldn't even tell the transition. So it's certainly pretty amazing what you can do in terms of getting them to match up um, when you move sections from one place to another. And that's, you know, with a guest, uh, sometimes it's even more of a challenge. Well, we we can always improve our our setup so we have the same setup, so we're consistent, so we have the same levels. It's difficult to do over, over remote. But uh, the guest almost always has... A unique setup. Some people I know who've done professional podcasting over remote have actually mailed the guest, <laughs> the equipment with the return label box to have it mailed back, just so to save them from doing that. We're, you know, we're all using even at USB mics and pro software. They may be using, you know, Apple earbuds for their microphones. So that that sometimes is a is a challenge. Um, another thing too about the the clipping, I, you, we can I can certainly say as when I was the editor for this. Uh, I think we were probably a little bit more deliberate in saying, okay, we'll stop here. And then trying to say it again, I think since you've come on board, Chris, I've almost gotten a bit lazy. I've been like, ah, Chris will figure it out. (laughs) We can, we can get around that. But one way that people could get around it, if they want to make it easier on the person who's doing their editing, or if you're editing it yourself. Um, and this is like, I like you said, Chris, this is a more behind the scenes meta episode, as we call it. But that's one of the reasons we do those rundowns for the regular episodes, because um, that preparation actually makes it on paper or in a Google Doc is related to the sound recording. And so far that there's notes, there's talking points. Oh, that's what I was talking about. And you, you kind of have that reference to go back. And I think I don't I think, Chris, if my memory serves me right, we've probably been a bit more deliberate if there's been a very detailed rundown because we it's easier for us to remember what we were talking about prior or we can drop it in the chat or something like that I think that that preparation even an hour preparation to plan out an episode or the order we're going to do things probably saves you quite a bit of time in the editing room I would think
1: yeah it depends on on in each episode but definitely that that preparation is key and I think that the, the takeaway especially for a bunch of the audience when you're doing any recording um Likewise, even just having a, uh, a video recording, you tend to have at least a basic script, right? or at least a basic understanding. No matter how great of an orator you are or anything like that, you have to have at least some kind of talking points or at least a general guideline to follow of what you want to cover. Um, without that, you're, you're really winging it, and you're, you're just going to have end up doing more takes. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but just it's something to keep in mind in terms of your overall kind of process. You're, you're definitely going to run into a lot of hard stops and you're gonna have to splice things back together and um other things if you know in a pinch i don't think it's a bad thing like to be honest i didn't have any talking points all we did for this episode in terms of planning was eric said well let's we're gonna talk about editing and here are some things and you know so I, I gave it some thought but other than that he's just kind of we're treating this like an interview off the cuff um but uh if you're <clears> really doing like a lecture video or something like that and you're just going to wing it Um, you're probably going to have a much more difficult time editing it in post than you would actually planning it and doing it just in one straight take. And so especially when you're talking about lecturing and like adding notes and writing things down or doing some kind of dynamic presentation. So I definitely recommend making sure that you have all of that set and ready to go um, so that you can actually time everything. Because otherwise too, um, especially when you're talking about like video editing, this is another trick I'll just mention with the video editing side tangent um, kind of related topic. What you do is when you change like a slide or something, like that and it doesn't match where you want the audio especially when you've cut audio and you need to move it around or you emit a whole section or you speed something up and you shift things around and suddenly the video of the the slides doesn't correspond to the actual um, voiceover audio that's going on top what you then do is you actually take and pause it at one particular point point and split it and make it take a screenshot and make a picture of it make it a still and insert it and have that time to actually be expanded that's the easiest way as opposed to stretching it because otherwise you're you're gonna if you stretch an overall file you might have that one section right but now you're gonna have to go back and fix the prior sections because now it's out of sync too because that also got stretched so the easiest way is really to give it a hard stop sync it with the audio and the the video and then extend the audio that you're missing in the one particular area typically by doing that kind of a a snip Um, and so yeah in terms of those kind of uh, clipping and movements and things like that. There's a lot of different kind of tricks you can do, um, and a lot of things do get left out too. That you know, I, I kind of just have to make a judgment call on, especially when we have a guest or interviewee um, that they, they were on something, they lost their train of thought, and they they want to repeat it, and then I I'm just trying to make it fit in and sound natural. That I end up cutting like, at least. Yeah, sometimes 10-15 seconds of what they said prior just to make sure that it, it kind of contextually flows and then if that doesn't work Sometimes well, we really don't ask guests to to repeat a take So at that point it's I have to decide where it makes sense that logically this kind of conversation ends or something like that and, and get get to flow in and go forward um, and cut a section out or I can also go back and find um a particular t- point in time where Eric or somebody is being not very kind and is actually interrupting our guest. And so I can splice that into, and there it goes, uh, uh the, you know, they can, we can have that as a, uh, as a, uh, workaround. So different, some, some, different tricks there, uh, in terms of how we can go about it. But, um, really at the end of the day, it's just making sure about the, the story you're trying to tell and kind of fitting it in with the larger narrative in the script, right? Um, does it make sense? How does the, the kind of, sound flow uh work um leaving small second gaps so that there is a bit of inflection in the voice change uh so when when you know i'm bugging chris about that earlier when you have that kind of voice change you give them a couple seconds of, of thinking time so that it, it sounds like kind of pause, gather a strain of thought, and then start off in a different tangent. And those types of tricks and making sure it feels real, giving that illusion and making sure it fits within the larger narrative and people's behaviors is really the, the trick with audio editing. It's not so much about the actual process itself. It's about the story you're trying to tell um, and while you're doing it and how it kind of fits in with the larger narrative. And so uh, that's why I think some things like Audacity or Logic or GarageBand doesn't really matter too, too much what you're using. It's really just about how you can... Um, is it what, what tool you're using to get to that kind of final end product and, and what you're trying to deliver. And so that's the perspective I take on it.
0: I think it's a good point. I mean, I I a hundred percent agree and, and Chris would other Chris will probably back me up on this. Uh, I, when we did the podcast remote originally, um, that's Chris, what's why you and I started doing it with video rather than just audio um, over, over the internet. I mean, there are some tools like, uh, Zencaster, which are great for recording just audio, but you don't get the, the nuances of the person nodding and some of those things. And, and even with video over the internet, um, because especially if there's a slight delay, uh, it's very difficult. Oh, I I see a place where I can ask a follow-up question and then you're now out of sync with them. I actually find it. It's quite an interesting experience because I used to interview people when i went to ubc I, uh, for the student radio i used to interview people and but it was always face to face in a, in a room so they knew when you were going to ask a question right they knew they could tell or you would you you'd be about to do something where it's a very strange experience kind of doing it over the internet and one of the things i've noticed is that some of the podcasts i listen to that are in studio super high quality everyone's using the same kind of mic same equipment even if they have really good equipment off-site, I noticed that they're even people who've been doing the same show together for a long time, they're a lot more out of sync doing it remote than prior when they were doing it in-studio. So there's certainly uh, something lost. With us, uh, we've started doing it online, so I guess if we move to in-studio, it can only get better. <laughs> we've set the bar at the right level. <laughs> uh, Chris, I was going to ask you, have you ever used uh, an iOS or Android-based audio editing? I I honestly haven't. I know that there's one called Ferrite Recording Studio, which I kind of played around very briefly with on the iPad. But for anybody there who has, like, a mobile device, is there anything they should keep keep an eye on if they're using that as their kind of their editing tool? Uh,
1: I don't know anything on the... um android os um and also i just don't have i don't own anything on the android os so i i can comment but from I mean, as a general comment, we've tried about this before, Eric, the PC environment is very limited in terms of the audio softwares that you can run. Um, most digital audio organizations are only compatible on the, the Mac OS. And so that's where Mac really becomes really powerful, is on the ed- audio and video editing side. It's even with video editors, you kind of have movie maker and maybe like a couple online tools, but nothing that's really dedicated that you can download and, and run at a high performance level that's going to give you kind of Hollywood quality um, um, kind of uh, editing. So. Yeah, I I I don't know about Android. I know that GarageBand is probably in my opinion, probably one of the best bets just because there is that compatibility really well built in between um, iPhone and um, your, your actual Mac and, or iPad and your actual Mac. You can actually get that translation really well and the files are all compatible and all this. Some of those third party ones, I'm not too sure. Um, there was one that I, I failed to mention as well. Reaper is an amazing software that's also um, free to use. Um, it's compatible on both Mac and Android, or not Mac and Android, Mac and PC, pardon me. Um, and it's more advanced than audacity it's more similar to logic it has a lot of more um high level tools and it's probably the better bet in terms of using it for for a lot of the editing but i think from an educational standpoint and and a lot of um uh a lot of people's kind of standard audio practice audacity covers most of their needs and it's actually a lot easier to use which is where i'd start people off so um I guess generally that's that's kind of where I, I think we'd end up. And so uh, I would say, yeah, for me, the top kind of three um, ones are going to be Audacity and Reaper, um, GarageBand if you have it. Um, between those three, I don't think any of the three are actually going to set you on the wrong path. All three are fantastic you're good um, to use any of them for really any context. Um, Just kind of experiment and maybe even watch some YouTube videos to see how difficult it is. And depending on your tech level, what, what, what feels approachable and comfortable to you. Um, And and that's true for all of these tools too. They have great online tutorials from everybody um, like under the sun. just like anywhere around the world, any context in terms of what you want to edit, they pretty much um, have a demo for it. So you're more than welcome to, to look at those, but the, um, for sure, the the higher end um, paid ones. They, it's it's most commonly it's Ableton, um, Pro Tools, um, Logic, Cubase. Um, and I think there's there's a couple others, but I would say those are, are the, the, the really the core ones, especially in the music industry as well. Those are the ones that are used all the time. And people have different preferences based on whatever application they're using. But by and large, again, being on the the Mac system, the the Logic um, Pro is is not only kind of affordable, but also just is is really well kind of used. You don't have any software compatibility. So um, the biggest thing, as I mentioned, was with the the FireWire going obsolete at the um, release of um, Big Sur and um, kind of how that overrided all the uh, overall um, uh, kind of different software and what's compatible even just at a hardware level what you can plug in to your laptop anymore. Um, you're never going to have those issues with logic, right? And you always have Apple support, uh, as, as as supportive as that is, to to really diagnose the issue and, and make sure that you 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 don't lose anything. And so that's kind of my preferred, just because it's native to the system, um, to, to your point there, Eric, about what, what's kind of Mac-based or, or or not. But um, any of the other ones, too, they have their advantages. Uh, I've used um, Cubase in the past, and I've used Ableton bit in the past so those are definitely great ones as well um pro tools is another very very popular one i think that's probably one of the the most popular i would say is between pro tools and logic but uh again you you can't go wrong with any of them and it you you just kind of have to experiment and see what's what's the best and there's always going to be kind of changing um Changing requirements both on a uh, like kind of your computer hardware side, and then also just kind of different features that they're rolling out to what's included and what you can find on sale. It's actually something too. I very recently last um, um, Boxing Day, a few few uh, months ago here. Basically, we were I was telling Eric that there's a um, a few deep discounts on some of the the Daw um, patch. Um, uh, patches and um, bundles and software, just like license codes um, from some music shops in the U S they were like 70 or 80% off. So uh, in those types of cases, if you can find something like that and it makes sense for you to, to grab it, I think you can, you, you basically don't have um, any limitations similar to the mics. It's it, Once you know what you're you have and you set your appropriate budget, if you can find a good deal, take it because it's not going to hurt you. It's just kind of the, the your chosen, um, your chosen system. So uh, that would be kind of my overall uh kind of recommendation on those. There's, there's not too much to say that there's limitations of any of them or, or anything like that, but there, there are certainly kind of different learning curves and, and difficulties for each of them.
0: Yeah. I, and I, and certainly, um, the learning curve, I think is, is most scary to people. I mean, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm certainly not nearly as experienced an audio editor, but I can say from a very amateur perspective, you know, even working with GarageBand, even within an hour and a half, or two hours working with GarageBand or even Audacity, which is, in my opinion, even easier to use, uh, you can get a pretty good handle on how things uh, work. And even if uh, the people on your podcast team haven't done any other editing, their feedback of, I sound a little bit too high, this person sounds a little bit too low, this sounds a little bit distorted, that's really helpful because it forces you to kind of try to dial in uh, on each channel, like you said, Chris, I mean, even just At a certain point, people have to, they can read about it. They can go on you. I think YouTube is what you suggested. Go watch a YouTube video of someone's editing workflow. I think I even found one once how to edit a basic podcast on audacity and kind of work through it. Um, those are great. Is there, now? I was, I was going to comment, uh, briefly about the chapter markers and, and you mentioned a couple of things, um, about, uh, best practices that I, that I, that I can, put forward as uh, some resources but uh, before we go on to that did you folks want to say anything else about our audio process or our experience so far
1: yeah I think they the, to, to wrap it up really what what you need to to focus on is having a, a consistent setup um, this is the biggest thing that I bug these two guys about all the time and I, I'm guilty of it too I don't have a proper recording studio which is kind of even the whole COVID situation right just the, the desk I have at home is not intended for this I would record everything kind of in the basement but I don't have all my monitors and like all my laptop desk set up everything ready kind of in that in my music studio so um, that's why I've moved my USB mic up here and I have this kind of setup. but it's in a very open space so you get all this noise inflection and things that you, you pick up all the time and I, I, I don't have all my taped markers so I, I don't have a good measure of distance all the time to get consistent voices but that's um, you always want to maintain like the very similar like by, by clockwork right? so it's very routine so that when you do, do that um, recording drop process that I was describing it's a very simple and very low effort for your editor because ultimately that's what you want to do you don't want to have to process a lot of things right simplicity is key that's that's true for um, like cooking or anything like that too you don't want to throw all these different garnishes and try to adjust it and fix it right? you, you don't want your sauce to intentionally break and then have to do something to fix it you just want it to be done the first time so um as part of that process you want to make sure that you have that like, consistency and like uh going again with the food analogy just because i think you know it's getting close to dinner time now um when you're actually looking at a uh like a, a restaurant you want to be able to deliver the same product every time with the perfectly cooked meat and the right tenderness on your vegetables and and so on and so forth with the right seasoning right so it's so just about having that repetitive motion and not having some amateur cooks in the kitchen um because they're kind of getting this the gordon ramsay's health kitchen thing here and getting raw fish all the time and i'm having to fix it so uh that's that's what you end up with
0: i think the consistency is a fantastic piece of advice i mean and i i really took that from you i i well, eventually Chris, uh, you have, a an arm for your raspberry mic, correct? Is it a, it's a floor stand, right?
2: Yeah, that's correct.
0: Yeah. So that, that certainly keeps it a bit more consistent. I do have a tape marker on my desk for when I place, I have a, a dust stand for the Yeti mic though. I think, uh, a, a, a clamp for the desk or a floor stand would be, would be even easier cause then I can just kind of turn it down. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting system that we have now. Uh, norm, what we used to do wh- now that Chris has gone through the kind of the editing process, you would upload it to our Google drive for our, our podcast, um, Gmail, which we don't give out it's secret. If you want to email us, that's, Hey, at edtechexamine.com. the Gmail secret, but we would upload it to our drive. Uh, I would download it and usually, in, in you know, high quality uh, MP3, um, depending on the, well when you're doing distribution of the podcast so i i don't do as much of the editing uh, only at the start of the podcast i did that so chris does our does our editing we, we we tweak it then we get the file then it goes into kind of distribution mode um apple podcast directory which is the biggest will only take 128 bit uh, mp3 for distribution when we first started doing this i was thinking. I'll get the highest bit rate. And then, it, of course, it wouldn't take. The, the podcast hosting platform we use, which is Castos, that will take a higher bit rate, but it it won't be distributed properly uh, through Apple. So that's something to keep in mind. 128-bit MP3 is kind of the highest uh, quality bit rate you can distribute. And, and for the longest time, that was pretty much our, our system. What has changed a little bit is that we do, um, because we do custom artwork, or because Chris Hans does custom artwork for each episode, which is, makes it a little bit special, we wanted to find a way to add chapter markers. So there is a way to add chapter markers to your audio, uh, I believe, in GarageBand, and I'm assuming Logic too, though I have no idea how it's done. But if you want to have the artwork change as you hit different pivot points in the podcast episode there's a few things to keep in mind so if you use apple podcasts app on an iphone and you scroll to the bottom of a podcast on the on the menu of that episode you'll see the chapter markers and you kind of see a countdown i use a podcast app called overcast which i which i paid for and I've always been struck listening to podcasts on that app. The first reason I got it was that it ought, whatever algorithm the app uses, it takes out silences and it does voice boosting. So that was the reason I paid for it to begin with. But I noticed that as I was using it, the artwork would change. Uh, as some of the podcasts I've listened to, uh, one of the one of the examples I'll give is called Six Colors, which is an Apple. Uh, rumors podcast it's very good it's done by Jason Snell he used to be the editor-in-chief of Macworld and uh, another another gentleman from the UK and they do their podcast remotely he's in the UK Jason Snell's in California it doesn't sound like it so they've done an incredible job with that workflow but I would notice that the artwork would change depending on the segment of the episode so if they got into the question period there'd be a different piece of artwork so there is a piece of software. Um, you can use. I do not have a uh, Windows equivalent, unfortunately. So if I come across one, I'll I'll try to put them in the show notes. The one I've used for the Mac was developed by the same fellow, Marco Armet, who did the Overcast podcasting app and it's called Forecast. So it's still in its beta phase. I believe it's um, version 0.9.2. So not quite version one yet and the way that works is that you have to import the once you've edited your podcast and completed it you have to import the wave file it prefers to take a wave file which is the uh, the non-compressed file format you put that into the software you can add your podcast name the episode title a little description very much like we would include in the show notes that show up so all of that data that metadata is encoded in the file, which is really handy, because if you went to import that into iTunes or something, all of that description information shows up. And then you can basically add, kind of like a file manager, you add a plus button, Uh, there's in the bottom uh, left-hand side of the software, there's a plus button, and then you can add a segment, and you can say, okay, when does the segment start? And you can give that segment a title, and you can incorporate uh, a different piece of artwork for every single segment that you create. So probably the best example of this, if people go and take a look at our 2021 forecast episode, we had a our standard artwork. We had a custom piece of artwork for the, which is I believe the crystal ball, which was at the start of it. And then as we counted from 10 to one for our top 10 uh, forecasts for 2021, the artwork changed from 10, nine, eight, etc. Uh, and then once you've included all the information and you've parsed it out, then you export all of that as a 128 bit MP3. And then that's what we use uh, to distribute to all the podcast platforms. Uh, like I said, I don't have a good Windows or a Linux. If for, you know, the 0.1% of the population uses Linux as their main desktop operating system. I'll see if I can find a good alternative. Um, but it's been, a if you are using a Mac, that is for that Forecast app, it's called, the link is overcast.fm slash forecast. And it's a really, really easy to use, uh, cool tool. It hasn't crashed on me yet, even though it's in beta. Uh, Chris, you also mentioned a, a bunch of great tips about, the setup. And I I think this is very analogous to what other podcasters veteran podcasters have said, which is great. Um, if, if people are interested on, on, in blog posts, uh, and especially ones that give kind of a, a visual breakdown of what some of this equipment looks like and how it's evolved, uh, that fellow Jason Snell, who does the six colors podcast, they have a blog, six colors. O-R-S, not O-U-R-S for Canadian and American listeners.com. And under their topics section, they have a section called Podcasting. And uh, he's been writing that for a number of years now, maybe five years. Uh, starting with a setup very similar to what we have here and kind of evolving into a more professional audio setup with better software um, very similar about much less detail and much less specific of getting started than what you were talking about Chris but he does have some photos of what that equipment looks like when it's, when it's all kind of put together which I found really helpful we need like a crickets uh, or like a howling wolf, I think that would be a great thing for when there's those dead silences.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to edit anything out of this episode. We're leaving everything in.
0: <laughs> That's fine. People have to deal with it. No, it's different. Uh, is there any anything about editing or our experience so far as we continue down this podcast journey that that you two would like to comment on?
2: You know, actually, one question for you, Chris. Like, you know hopefully with the vaccinations we'll we'll be back in in person uh, fairly soon maybe this year but uh if we did go into like face-to-face what would you suggest um uh, i know that eric's been thinking about maybe setting up a studio in his new house whenever he ends up getting one
1: yeah exactly you you need a a isolated room of some sort that's going to be you know, soundproofing is, uh, and acoustic treatments are a whole other can of worms and topic um, that we can kind of get into. Um, but I guess the, the joke that Eric always talks about when, I, I, when I've mentioned this, kind of the different rooms and how if you get some uh, reflections off of the noise and things like that, he's like, we'll just get Chris to throw a towel on his head and record the podcast that way, record it under a blanket or something. Um, but, you know, that's not necessarily untrue. Um, I, a tip that I've always had is to, to record in your closet because it, with all the different clothes and things like that, if you have a walk-in closet, it really helps to absorb a lot of the like kind of the sound. It gets you that dead, dry sound, which is what you want um, for a podcast, um, not necessarily for music or vocals, which is what a lot of people then like to record in the bathroom. Actually, um, they throw their guitar amp in, in the, the, the bathtub or the in, in the shower, um, the, the reverberation that comes off of it is very natural and it sounds like you're playing in a big church or hall or something like that. Um, which is very kind of pleasing on the musical side. Um, so yeah, it's very dependent on the room and the effect you're trying to go for. But I say, by and large, that's kind of what you're looking at. any any hard metallic kind of surfaces, tiles, um concrete, things like that, they're going to be bouncing um, and that you're going to get that ver- ver- reverberation. Um, and anytime you have like a carpeted floor, um, so if you don't have a carpet and you want to record and you want some dead space, you' are trying to record a podcast, throw down some carpet, um, hang up some 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 sheets all around, um, you know, block out some noise, um, mattresses people use all the time. I mean, even the the old trick to use, as part of the um, as a drum kit is to throw a pillow inside the kick drum so that you don't get a weird um, kind of um, verberation off of that that you don't get that the resonance. Um, so that that's those are all very very kind of common things so just surround yourself with kind of uh, the ability to get some of that dead sound i would say that whatever studio you set up you don't want too big of a room but you don't want too small of a room you want to find the right size for what you're trying to do you're going to throw down some carpet or throw down something and some acoustic treatments to just limit and isolate the sound or get the sound to where you want it um and then have that um set up so the biggest challenge that we're going to have um is that most of the affordable um, mic interfaces only have two inputs and so the the, the music the music trick that i've gotten um, for this that's the most affordable instead of upgrading your audio interface because those can be quite expensive when you get into to multiple outputs anything more than kind of four um, especially if you're trying to record drums or anything like that you you typically have a, like a seven mic setup for example um, the trick is to actually use a mixer and from that mixer like a, a live mixer or something like that what you can do is uh, use that to be um, your mic inputs, and then from your mixer out, what you'd normally run to a PA or amplifier um, to actually broadcast the sound, that's what you actually plug in via XLR into your audio interface, and it'll work that way. So essentially you're daisy chaining um, a mixer, a live audio mixer, and you can get some extra EQ out of that also, um, and balancing, and then um, plug that back into the audio interface. So um, to answer your question in a roundabout way there, then Chris, essentially when we do go back to a uh, to an actual XLR setup, what I'm gonna look to get is we need a audio interface and we can use mine or we, you know, we we'll get one for the podcast, but we we'll definitely get a mixer. Um, that would be kind of, um, they'd go along with it. I'd, I'd say Soundcraft would get kind of most of what you need. They're a good kind of Canadian um, based uh, company. That, they're kind of an in-house brand for the thick Yorkville sound and all of that. So uh, yeah, Yorkville or Soundcraft, either or would be pretty good. Um, you can use one of those. Um, they shouldn't cost you too much. And then off of that, we'd run kind of three mics so that would be very similar. Um, we'll see what we end up actually using, but, um, the, you know, we'll 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 see how much um, money Eric kind of has after he gets to that house, and how much he wants to spend on a mic, and we'll go from there.
0: And with that note, if you want to advertise on the EdTech examine podcast, we are open uh, to sponsors. Any audio sponsor, uh, if you have equipment, uh, we will use it. And regarding a studio, yeah, carpet. Well, I need a, I need an office because I work from home so much. Uh, when if this house uh, is ever purchased, so it'll likely be uh, a basement office that's carpeted, which is good. And if I'm doing lots of important recording, um, people are usually kind, and if possible, they they leave the house for an hour, so we may need to be we may be under a time limit, but that's possible. What about those foam things that you can put on the wall? Is that helpful if I plastered every wall with those big foam cushions?
1: Yeah, those are foam acoustic treatments and really what they do is they they change the audio kind of, feedback of like in terms of where things hit and, and bounce off and reflect and all that it, it helps with some of the absorption and kind of it, it, it dials out certain frequencies essentially you can get those for actually your mic attachments too I have a set um, it's not typically useful for when you're talking into a mic but um, you can get some of those there's different audio shields that you can get I've I told Chris to get one too he couldn't find one to his liking that kind of fit to, to be um, useful for um, teaching and lecturing kind of on video. So um you didn't end up keeping any any of those, but those those typical vocal kind of shields is the semi kind of vocal booth, if you will, um, can be used as well. That's the kind of last thing I was gonna to mention too in, in terms of creating a vocal booth. Do you have actual sound isolation rooms that you can buy um, that you kind of assemble IKEA style that with with the extra couple zeros at the end of the price tag. But um, those definitely exist. Uh in terms of kind of doing a, a MacGyver version of that, you can kind of get any sort of plexiglass or um and again kind of treat that with something like drape uh, some blankets over it or, or something like that like uh, the, mo- the those big mover blankets um for, for moving um would be a, g- a good example for any of the like, kind of thick quilt type material like those um throw those on anything kind of fuzzy or woolly um and just yeah, wrap that around some plexiglass and you kind of create a little vocal booth kind of like a little shower um i guess theoretically you could to ref- to reduce the amount of reflection through a um a carpet or a rug the bottom of your shower or tub and then hang up a bunch of uh sheets and and whatnot kind of all around the tub and uh, on your kind of uh your shower door or whatever to to reduce all that plastic so to kind of get a a um a fuzzy booth if you will kind of surrounding you to get that uh the correct sound um treatment but uh i wouldn't recommend that <laughs> kind of for for obvious reasons it's a lot of setup and kind of um odd you kind of box yourself in and you're, you're not going to have a lot of um it's a lot of effort to, to really do it that way so it's not a um a convenient solution so um but it is possible if you if you try it do let us know i'd be interested to see what you think of that approach
0: and what people will take away from this is soft and fuzzy i think <laughs> that's what they will remember that's the sound we're going for
1: last thing i'll mention just because we have this chris can you turn on your your mic again yeah, yeah sure so for our viewers I'll, I'll splice this in or maybe i'll just leave it here you'll hear that actually chris has some fan or something running in the background so um when he's muted throughout this podcast and i the different kind of i'll, I'll leave a section where he has that kind of buzzing in the background that's a kind of consistent sound and then um, when he's not speaking it's sometimes it'll be difficult to actually cut that out and so um, the important thing is actually to have also separate audio tracks we forgot to mention that that's the kind of key to be able to do all these different um, separate things you don't want to have all your voices on like one single track so um, that that's the 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 only way you'd actually get that kind of panning or approach or anything like that at all anyways so. yeah, and then just to that that point too, like Chris is usually pretty awesome with this setup. You never get any of that feedback. Um, sometimes it comes from Eric's side or, or typically mine actually. Um, but this is one example of the challenges again of, of recording digitally. You can never have a predictable, reliable setup that's going to sound the same every time. So I'm going to have uh, some fun editing those uh, um, fuzzy bits out of, uh, out of Chris's audio.
0: It's so funny too, because Chris, I believe, is like my setup has been identical from day one yet there seems to be slightly more reverberation maybe because of the size of the windows in this office or Chris it looks like when photos are seen of your office you're in a much larger room yet and and with a a mic that is like omnidirectional and yet you sometimes have less reverb I just find it unbelievable so it's it's interesting to me that sometimes it's very I'll listen Mm -hmm. back to my own audio and I'll be like how is that coming through um If I block underneath the office door, sometimes that helps. But it's interesting.
2: Although, you know, yeah, I mean, this time around, uh, one thing that I've done uh, because um, uh, Chris is also uh, TAing with me for uh, a course and um, I've turned up my gain significantly. And so now uh, I'm apparently much louder and the other thing that i did today was i changed a setting within zoom to go and uh, be a little bit more sensitive to any background noise and so i I don't think it actually worked (laughs) so (laughs) that's the only two changes that i've made since the noise gate in zoom
1: no yeah there's an active noise gate that smart noise gate that it does um it's not very smart though yeah Um...
2: (laughs) yeah so i turned it from automatic to just high Figuring that it'll capture uh, any kind of uh, dogs barking or, you know, mouse clicks because uh, Chris actually mentioned my mouse was really loud uh, when I was uh, lecturing yeah. a couple of weeks ago.
1: And I guess the, the, so that the one thing on that, Chris, is probably your gain is actually a bit too high. You sound really great, though, like your volume is is. Is solid, um, and that's kind of what we were going for. But um, when you hear that buzzing, that's like a good sign, just for the listeners. That that's when your gain is too high. Um, and another thing, just as a as a, a brief comment, especially when you're working in a team like we are, um, and you have different people, always tell your audio editor when you've made a change, because otherwise it's like, why is this not coming mm-hmm. through? Like, what did what what why, what happened, right? Because Eric was, I think, one time he had changed his gain settings and hadn't told me, and I was like, not until three or four episodes later, I, I was like, Eric, you sound horrible. What has gone on? That's <laughs> you know,
0: it's funny what, what i think happened with that because i have them i haven't marked on this uh this mic so i think i realized uh i would always put the gain back so right now i think hang on let me just check yeah so this is like nine and a half you know, it's not, it's between nine and 10 o'clock on the gain setting, which is typically what it is for you. Though I recreated the movement of me grabbing the mic and putting it into the marked spot. And I always grab it at the point where my pinky will hit that gain. And I think it was turning it up to to 12 o'clock. So it's funny how much of a change it can make, right? Because like you said, it sounds really just dis- starts to sound really distorted because I tend to have it pretty close.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think different people have uh, different setups too. Like depending on your voice and how you project and how you talk, you'd want to have different setups. Um, so, like for Chris, I'd probably say like it, for him, he wants to have the higher gain because he likes, he speaks a little more um, softly, but also dynamically um, in in a way, right? It's it's kind of um, he, he changes his his volume in terms of the uh, kind of the expression. It's a it's a little more. Um, he gets a little more um, inflection in his voice. And so having a, a closer mic with a higher gain is probably better for him because he gets a little softer. Um, whereas Eric, you're, you're very kind of consistent. We, we've said this before, you kind of have that broadcaster voice um, where you're just kind of very, very, not, not monotone, but very like... Um, within a, a very particular defined range and so you you don't you don't tend to deviate off of that uh, but, which is why I you know I pointed out for Chris he's the one that that tends to get that inflection change mm-hmm. um where you, you know for you it's it's typically very much um on a single note kind of throughout not that it's monotone but you, you get the the same kind of feel
0: no i, I think that's a great point and i mean it, it this is where the discussion like this is super helpful because if someone I actually stopped my local audio. That was dumb. Uh, I think it just crashed on me.
2: <laughs> and this is I why just got I was, a
1: if, yeah, for those of you that, 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 you know, we, we didn't record this part, but I I was saying, I, I don't even bother with the local audio because there's always too many problems. So it's uh typically it's the zoom thing and if the zoom thing fails and the whole recording is, is just, uh, is, is lost. So, um,
0: but, but it's funny, right? I mean, I almost expect Zoom to fail, yet it, it seems to not fail as often as I would expect. Now, maybe that's maybe that's a reflection of my expectation for Zoom because I had so many years working with Skype. This seems so much more stable than Skype, uh, especially now that Skype is like, you know, any day from being discontinued, it seems. But I think it's it's a... Uh, you, what you bring up about voices, Chris, is a really good education. Like, I think if somebody has a podcast or they want... To, they want to create one. Even if they take turns editing with a profile or a template, they have to talk about the I mean, I have, there's, it's, there's some podcasts out there. They get a ton of downloads and their audio quality is awful. Like we might never be unless we, you know, become super pro, but we get better all the time where some of these people are using their laptop mic, but they have like 500,000 downloads. <laughs> so I, I find it much more helpful when you have a team where they you can be told like oh you said this too many times or like you said there's you breathing so that's practice right that's like a practice a voice practice thing there's people there's things that people can do with their cadence and they have to kind of know how they speak from other people's feedback because I don't know I only know what I sound like in my head which is very different than what I sound like when I'm in your head Right. So it's a, it's a useful process to discuss it. I think it's really, I find it very really engaging.
1: Yeah. And everybody has their quirks in terms of speech delivery. I know for me, Chris, always, even at the start of this recording, was bugging me with my ums and ahs. But, but typically, part of that too is when I'm uh, not as just uh, slowing down my speech, because otherwise I can go pretty quick. I and mean, you don't really notice the ums and ahs because it's, they just kind of get blown away. You're, try, you're still trying to catch up with what I'm trying to say instead of focusing on any of those. So. Uh, that's a different kind of a just character I would say of the of each individual person is kind of what gives the podcast its flavor so I don't worry I will not stress about any of those things too too much I mean even like the heavy breathing I mean some people older like that's ASMR right so uh, it works out but
0: (laughs) that's not what I'm going for (laughs) 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 oh my god (laughs) I don't understand ASMR I'm too old
1: yeah I, to be honest i don't either i'm quite an old soul um for those that don't know i even buy my own music i don't even stream music I, it's still albums i have vinyl i have a pretty large vinyl collection
0: uh but with that uh i think we've probably covered most of what we wanted to regarding the audio editing so i appreciate uh very much your your input chris and in taking the time to share especially that your editing and workflow experience it's certainly an education for me to hear it every time I learn something new and I, and I certainly hope that's the case uh, for our, our listeners as well. Thanks very much, gentlemen.
2: Yeah, thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks, Eric.
0: You can learn more about EdTech Examined by going to our website edtechexamine.com There, you'll find ways to subscribe as well as host information, our social media accounts, and our blog posts. Our blog posts are also published through Medium on the EdTech Examined publication. You can contact EdTech Examined by emailing us at hey at edtechexamine.com. If you have an EdTech question you'd like us to answer on a future episode, you can email us or reach us through Twitter using the hashtag EdTechOfficeHours. You can find EdTech Examined on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at @edtechexamined, and we also have a LinkedIn page you can follow. Until next time,
1: and I'm Chris Hong, the audio producer for EdTech Examined. You can get in touch with me and contact me through all of my social media at my website, which is chrishong.ca. That's c-h-r-i-s-h-o-a-n-g.ca.